Jesus is the air I breathe. He's the air I breathe. Are you hungry for God's word this morning? I think he has some good food. I think he has some really good food for us to feast on today. If you're hungry, you will be filled. If you're hungry, you will be filled. That's a promise you can practice right now. Jesus said, blessed are the hungry for they will be filled. Practice that promise now. I am off mute, so if I'm not on, it's Nick. Can you hear me? Okay. When Jesus gave us everything he had, he said, it is finished. When Jesus gave us everything he had, he said, it is finished. That revelation right there, that, a revelation of that makes me want to pitch my tent and camp out in his presence. Fellowship with him. Enjoy the sweet fellowship of Jesus. You know, that's why we were brought into relationship with God. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, we were brought into relationship with God for the purpose of fellowshipping with the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Sweet fellowship. He gave us everything. When I realized the revelation that he gave me, everything that he had makes me want to hang out with him, to hang out in fellowship. Because he's my shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd. In his presence, I do not want for any good thing. For when I'm in his presence, he makes me lie down in the green pastures of plenty, and he leads me beside the quiet waters of peace. He restores my soul when I'm in his presence. He takes away the depression. He takes away the anguish. He takes away the anxiety. He takes away the resentment. He takes away the disappointments. He takes away the pain. And even when I pass through the shadow of death, however that looks, real or unreal, imagined or realistic, spiritual or physical, I fear no evil because I'm in his presence, his rod of protection and his staff of direction to bring me comfort. And I hear him say when I'm in his presence. This is what I hear him say. He says, Jerry, certainly, certainly, or you may have understood it as surely, certainly, God's goodness and his loving kindness will follow you. Follow you all the days of your life. His goodness is running after me. That's what I hear Jesus, my shepherd, say when I'm in his presence. He says, the blessings are chasing you, Jerry. He's re- constantly reminding me that the blessings are chasing me because see, then I, sometimes I hear him say, I hear him say this, like yesterday. Like after I spilled the diesel fuel all over myself and all over the pump because my makeshift extended spout came loose. And, and, and yeah, I, I cussed. Okay, I, I did. Um, uh, but he, see... The reason he has to, the reason I hear him say, stop trying to outrun them, 
is because I'm just like you. I play the devil's mind games. What do I mean by that? The devil's mind games are this. Why don't the promises, why don't the blessings, where are the blessings? Why aren't they in my life? Why can't I experience your blessings? Where are they? Where are they? Where are they, God? And then as soon as I get a revelation, as soon as I hear him telling me, the blessings are chasing, you know what I do? I start to outrun them. Why? I start trying to outrun them because I feel guilty. I try and I think I have to deserve them instead of basing it on the blood of Jesus Christ. And because I cussed, because I, 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 I want to quit, because I'm tired, because of any number of reasons, because I have unbelief, I try and outrun them. But I hear him saying, the blessings are chasing you. Stop trying to outrun them. His goodness is running after me. When Jesus gave us everything he had, he said, it is finished. Our, re- our scripture reading this morning is Luke chapter 17. I'm reading verses 11 through 16. 11 through 19. Luke 17, 11 through 19. And it came about while he was on his way to Jerusalem that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And he entered, and as he entered a certain village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance who stood at a distance, met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And it came about that as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith, your faith has made you well. Pray with me. Jesus, we're desperate for you. We're hungry for you. We're hungry for your word. Thank you for filling us. Open our minds to understand the scriptures this morning, each and every one of us. Open our minds to understand how faith works, how you designed faith to function in our lives. Help us to be honest with ourselves and admit to ourselves where we have barren faith in our lives and to impregnate that barren faith with the power of your word, with your power, so that that faith will reproduce and deliver your reality in our lives. Lord, help us to bring into manifestation the spiritual realities of your promises by expressing authority with action in the physical world. Thank you for doing so this morning. Thank you for opening our minds to understand the scriptures, Jesus. You did it for your followers in the upper room. You'll do it for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Amen. These men... We are in pregnant faith, impregnating barren faith with the power of God, part two this morning. And these men, the men in last week's story, the four men who carried their paralytic friend, their paralyzed friend to Jesus, all five of those men, the man on the stretcher included, their faith's actions preceded the encounter with Jesus. This is important to understand. Their faith's action preceded the encounter with Jesus. They came to faith's obstacle, the crowd. 
think I'm losing this thing here. Where's Nicholas? Ah, there we go. We got it. Their faith's obstacle was the crowd. They overcame the crowd to get their friend to Jesus, demonstrating to Jesus that their faith was pregnant, ready to deliver. Their belief was so strong that it caused them to tear apart someone's home, to actually dig a hole in the roof, remove the tile, dig a hole in the roof, and drop their friend down in the presence of Jesus. Tear apart someone's home. There was no need to instruct them to do anything further. It was a story of faith, acting faith. Acting faith that preceded the encounter. But these 10 lepers that we just read about, these 10 lepers in Luke chapter 17, They'd not demonstrate Please. Feels better. We need to strap this thing on. Get me all bundled up. These ten lepers, they'd not demonstrated any faith prior to their encounter with Jesus. They stood at a distance. They stood at a distance because they had to. It was required by law. It was required because of what the medical condition of their bodies. Faith must have corresponding action. So Jesus instructed them to act in accordance with their request. Nick, this thing is not working, and I... I don't care what we got to do, duct tape, I'll duct tape it to my head. There's something not going on. My ears aren't big enough. <laughs> did you, Kurt, did you say my sister had, no, what'd you? Oh, <laughs> Okay, I think we're ready to go. I don't know. Okay. Faith must have corresponding actions. So Jesus, because these, these, these ten lepers had not acted, not, faith, there, was, there was no corresponding action to their faith prior to coming to Jesus. So Jesus instructed them to act according to their request. Jesus didn't act without rhyme or reason. He didn't do things without a rhyme or reason. There was a reason for everything that he did. Contrary to what religion has tried to teach us, well, you never know what God's going to do. Jesus just kind of, he just did a whim. He just changed things up so that they, uh, uh, I'm going to grab the handheld here in a bit. He didn't just do whatever he felt like doing. He didn't change things up just so we didn't build a doctrine out of it. Where, where do, let's get rid of this thing. Is it on? This is different for me. There was a reason for everything that he did. I know, I know religion has come up with all these reasons why Jesus did that. He just did things to keep, keep us confused. So we, we, we wouldn't establish a doctrine or a pattern. But there was a reason for everything that he did. There was a reason he put clay on a blind man's eyes and told the blind man to wash in the pool of Siloam. There's a method to faith. There's a method to faith. It must have corresponding action. Why make a blind man 
A blind man wrestled his way through half a mile of crowd, at least half a mile. It could have been three quarters of a mile through the crowded streets of Jerusalem. It wasn't to terrorize him. Jesus is not an abuser, nor was it random. There was a reason. It was so this man could prove his faith, to give evidence that it was pregnant with the power of God. It was so his faith could express authority in the physical realm and give birth through action, through action. So Jesus instructed these lepers to act in accordance with their request. Jesus told them to act like they were healed. Go and show yourselves to the priests was the corresponding action to their faith's request. It was the corresponding action. Go show yourself to the priest. It was the corresponding faith that their, the corresponding action to their faith that was needed to deliver in the physical realm. And deliver it did. And it came about as they went. They were cleansed. Verse 14. As they went, as they were acting like they were healed, they were cleansed. Jesus told them to act like they were healed. That's what he told them, because one would not go show himself to the priest if they had leprosy. Couldn't do it. They were not allowed in public. Only if you were cured would you go show yourself to the priest. Act like you're healed. Go show yourself to the priests. That was the word of God they had to act upon. They had to overcome fear of the crowd. I've been watching the series The Chosen. The Chosen depicts very well what that culture at that time, how they treated lepers. They had to overcome the fear, the rejection of the crowd. They had to, they had to overcome fear of rejection by the priests. They had to overcome their fear of failure. What if this doesn't work? They had to believe Jesus and act like they were healed. They had to focus on his word. His word was go, show, the word of God to them was go show yourselves to the priest. They had to focus on that word, not their flesh, not their feelings, not their rags and their wrappings. Remember Proverbs 4.20 from last week? Focus on my words. Focus on my sayings. Pay attention to my sayings because they are life and health to your whole body. They knew God. They knew Messiah. They knew his integrity. I'm going to be talking about integrity today. They knew the integrity of Messiah. They believed his word was good. If not, they would have gone back to the colony. If they didn't believe that his word was as good as done, they would not have gone to show themselves to the priest. They would have gone back to the colony. And what would have happened if they went back to the colony? They would have remained lepers, just like those five men. If they, would have, if they would have let the crowd convince them that it must not be God's will, it wasn't meant to be, whatever will be, will be, that man, their friend, would have stayed on the stretcher. He would have remained on that stretcher. But they believed his word was good, as good as done. So when he said, go show yourselves to the priest, they displayed strength. They set their fears aside, displayed strength, and took action. And sometime during that action, sometime during that action, sometime, 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 
not before they went, but as they went, sometime during that action, get the revelation. Daniel chapter eleven thirty two, where we finished last week, declares this. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. And as I explained last week, it's actions of faith. Not actions of holiness, it's actions of faith, like Moses or Elijah and David and Gideon and Joshua. The people who know their God, the people who know that he is a God of integrity, know that he will do what he said he would do, that he's done what he said he's done, they will display strength and take action. By faith, we sow God's words in our life. We sow his word in our lives by acting on it. By faith, we sow the promises of God in our lives by practicing them. You can know his word and not know God, just like those Pharisees last week in that house, just like the, the scribes and the teachers in that house. They knew the scriptures, but they didn't know God. They missed him. He was standing right before them, speaking to them. And they, because they had no faith, because they didn't know God, they missed him, but they knew the scriptures. You can know his word and not know God, but you cannot know God and not know his word. You cannot know God and not know his promises. It's the promises that, that allow us to know God. The promises allow us to know who he is, what he's done, his attitude toward us. The promises allow us to know his willingness to operate on our behalf. The promises reveal his power toward us, the power that he's given to us. Not just to survive, but to thrive. Knowing God in this way, knowing his integrity, will cause us to display strength and take action. Actions of faith. Actions inspired by the reality of God's word. Actions inspired by his promises, by his integrity. Actions inspired by knowing him, knowing him. God's integrity, the integrity of God's word, means nothing until we get on over it. His integrity is of no value if we don't believe and act on it. The integrity must be mixed with faith if it is to profit us. Hebrews 4.2 tells us that the word they heard, speaking of the Israelites, who did not go into the promised land and instead wandered in the desert for 40 years and said, we heard the good news just as they heard. They heard good news just as we've heard good news. But the word they heard, the good news they heard, didn't profit them any. It didn't bring about results. It didn't give birth to anything because it was not united by faith in those who heard. They didn't mix it with faith. There's some important things God's trying to share with us in pregnant faith. Answer some of the why questions. It's not a matter of saying, well, it's in the Bible. I guess it'll happen to me if it's his will. God is sovereign, you know. No, 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 no. We've got to sow the seed to get a harvest. That's the purpose of the seed is to be sown. We need Seed to soil contact, as Isaac has been teaching us in the parable of the sower, the sower sows the word. Isaac told us that we need heart to word contact. It's necessary for germination, he said. 
I understand planting the seed is work. A lot easier to carry it around on your shoulder in a bag, isn't it, Isaac? Sometimes it's just plain hard, and you will be, I promise you, you will be tempted to just go back to praying, to begging God. But prayer is not the seed. The Word of God is the seed, Mark 4, 14. Prayer without the Word is religious at best and complaining at its worst. When you go to prayer, place God's Word on the altar of your prayer life. It is then that you start off with the answer instead of the problem. Again, how do we sow the seed of God's Word in our lives? We act on it. We act on it. That's how we sow the seed of God's word in our lives, by acting on it. That's how the seed gets sown and gives birth or reproduces itself in our physical lives. It's how the physical realm is altered. By acting on God's word, by acting on his promises, by practicing the promises. This unleashes the power that's contained within it. Motion. Motion plants the seed. That's what you got to do. Carrying it around your shoulder doesn't plant the seed, does it? Motion. You got to get out in the field and you got to work. It takes a little bit of effort. Captivity cannot be overcome with inactivity. Practice the promises. If we're going to get out of bondage, if we're going to get out of captivity, if we're going to live free, if we're going to live the abundant life that Jesus Christ came to give us, then we are going to have to act on God's words. We're going to act, have to act on the promises that he's given to us. If we're going to successfully weather the storms of this life, and there are storms, storms designed to keep us captive, storms designed to put us into bondage. If we're going to successfully weather those storms, we're going to need a shelter. What is it that builds our house? What is it that builds that shelter that will allow us to successfully weather the storms of life? Luke chapter 6, verses 47 and 48 tells us explicitly. This is what it says. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I will show you whom he is like. Uh, notice that phrase, acts upon them. That's the key phrase here. Who hears my words and acts upon them. I will show you whom he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. Dug deep. And when a flood rose, a torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Acting on the word is the only thing. The only thing that will build our house to weather the storms of life. Acting on the word and only acting. Nothing else will build that shelter. Not hearing the word, not love, not faith, not hope, not prayer, not discipline, not knowing the word, not memorizing it, not learning the Hebrew or the Greek of it, not even seeing into the spiritual dimension, not speaking the word, not even believing it. We'll build that shelter. James 2.19 says, even the demons believe, but what does it profit them? Loving God won't do it. As good as those things are, I'm not diminishing those things. As good as those things are, they will not build the shelter that we need to successfully weather the storms of life. Only acting on the word will do it. This is important what I'm going to say next. You can do all those things. You can do all those other things I just mentioned and still be wiped out by a storm because you're missing something vital. 
this answers some questions. You see, it was not the storm that destroyed the foolish man's house. We so often blame the storm. Religion blames the storm. They call it act of God. We so often blame the storm, and yet it was not the storm that destroyed the foolish man's house. The same storm hit both houses. Let's read in Matthew chapter 7, verse 26 and 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them. We're seeing the other side of the equation. This is what happens when we don't act on them. He will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and its collapse was great. The same storm hit both houses. It was the same storm. What was it that destroyed the foolish man's house? It was the foundation, the lack of one that destroyed the house. It was the lack of a foundation that destroyed the foolish man's house, not the storm. You can do all those important things that I mentioned, very important things. You can do them well and still miss the vital element required to weather the storms of life, a foundation laid upon the rock. What builds the foundation? Jesus said it is acting on the word. Acting, this next part's really important. Acting is what assembles the substance of faith. Faith is the substance. I'll give you that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. But action is what assembles the substance. Action is what assembles the materials of faith into a structure that you can run into for shelter when the storms hit. Motion, and only motion, transfers the spiritual substance of faith to the physical dimension where it matters where it is exhibited, where it is designed to be manifested. I want to say that again, where it is designed to be manifested. Motion is what builds us a shelter that will weather the storms of life. Without action, all those other things, as well as you do them, amount to little more than a sandcastle when it comes to storms. You will still be susceptible to the storms of life. You will still be susceptible to the waves of this fallen world. Jesus said in John 13, verse 17, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. It's not enough to know the word. It's not enough to quote the word. It's not enough to talk about the promises, carrying them around on your shoulders in a bag. It's not enough to pray about them. The blessing comes when we do the word. The blessing comes when we act on the word. We need to act on the word. The blessing comes when, as a result of the word. Act on the word. The blessing comes. The results come. The shelter is built when we decide, God, this is your promise to me. You said you'd do this for me, and I'm going to act like it's true because I believe you. I believe you so much, I'm going to act accordingly. And you do. You do it. You do the acting. You do the acting. The word builds the house. The word builds the shelter. If you don't act, the word cannot build. 
1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, The Word performs its work in those who believe. The Word does the building, you do the acting. The Word performs in those, the Word performs its work in those who believe, and those who believe act. The reality is, here's the truth. Captivity cannot be overcome with inactivity. So practice the promises. Practice the promises. The reality is the storms will strike throughout our lifespan. They just will. If you're alive, you know that. Some of you have had the toughest two or three weeks you've had in your life. Some of you had the toughest two or three months you've had in your life. Some of you this last year has been the toughest of your life. If you are alive, you know that the storms of life will strike throughout our lifespan. But I want you to know this. Jesus is saying to us this morning, in this world, you will have trouble. There will be storms. There will be storms, but take courage. I have overcome the world, and I've shown you how you can too. I've shown you how you can do too. Act on my words. Act on my promises. Again, Luke 6, 47 and 48. I want to read that one more time. Everyone who comes to me and hears my promises, my words. Everyone who comes to me and hears my promises and acts upon them, I'll show you who he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep. Is it easy? No, I'm not saying it's easy. Digging deep implies work. You know, you're in for a hard time until you get that shelter built. It's work. But the results of doing so, the effort is worthwhile. It will pay off. He laid a foundation upon the rock, and when a flood rose, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. The floods of life, the floods of life will strike in any way Satan can find to strike. You can count on that. He's desperate, hard against you. So we had best get around to building a shelter that will weather the storms that he sends our way to take us out. One with a rock solid foundation under it. Let's face it. Let's face reality. We cannot hope that the storm will come to an end. They won't. And those of us that are older realize they get a little bit harder. They come at us a little bit stronger. But we can shelter from them, unaffected, with pregnant faith, faith that is fertile, ready to deliver, pregnant with the power of God. Jesus said we can. He said we can. But we must get that shelter built by acting on his word by practicing the promises. Captivity cannot be overcome with inactivity. So practice the promises. Yes, you'll have that line memorized by the end of this morning. When is the best time to build our shelter? Well, I'll tell you this, it's not during the storm. That's not the best time. It's not after the flood comes. Yet that's when most Christians decide to build. Most Christians try and build this shelter after the floods hit. Jesus is specifically talking about a foundation here. That's a, that, he's talking about the foundation. That's, that's the point. And yet no one builds a foundation in a flood. You can't. 
Yet that is when many Christians decide to act on the word. That's when they decide to take a promise and act on it. That's absolutely the most difficult time to act. That's why I say develop your faith today. Impregnate barren faith with the power of God today while things are well. Do it before you're broke. Do it before you're sick. Build your house on the rock, not when you're under pressure, but out of faith. Do it out of joy. Build it out of gratitude. Build it out of desire, not under pressure, not in the flood. Do it while you're feeling good, strong, confident. It's a lot easier to believe for healing. It's a lot easier to act on a promise of healing before you're sick. It's a lot easier to act on a promise of prosperity before you're in the midst of bankruptcy. It's a lot easier to act on a promise of marital intimacy before divorce. As a pastor, I have seen many men decide to act on God's word regarding marital intimacy after the threat of divorce, after the papers have been served. That's the storm, buddy. That's the storm. I want to tell them, you are in the middle of a hurricane. You're trying to build a foundation in a flood. It's hard, hard, brother, to build intimacy when the divorce papers are in her. Get that picture? She's got the divorce papers in her hand, and you're set out to build intimacy. And yet that right there, that picture, you can picture it. You, you're sitting, I mean, I know what you're thinking. And yet that right there is a picture of when many Christians decide to build their shelter to weather the storms of life. It is tough. Really, it's impossible, barring a miracle from God. Begin building now. Begin before the storm. Act on his word today. Practice God's promises. Captivity cannot be overcome with inactivity. Practice the promises. Romans 1.17 states, The righteous man shall live by faith. Live. The righteous man will live by faith. We're righteous people. We've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're in covenant relationship. And God states, the righteous man shall live by faith. Living, live is a verb. Living is action. Now, this statement may be a statement of truth. It is. The righteous man will live by faith. But I believe that it is also prophetic in nature. I believe that God is saying to us, you will need faith to live this life at some point. You're going to need faith to live. You're going to need it to weather the storms. You will need it. You will need it at some point in your life just to live. So develop it now. Impregnate barren faith today so that you're ready. Ready when you need it to deliver. Ready when you need it to give birth. Because you will need it to deliver if you want to weather the storms successfully. If you want to keep your house standing unaffected by the flood, you will need to use faith. It is the realities or unrealities we believe, really believe, and act on that become the realities we experience. Captivity cannot be overcome with inactivity. Practice the promises. As I stated in the opening last week, we can live this life one of two ways. We can live this life one of two ways. We can live it with a renewed mind based on the Word of God, based and founded on the promises of God. 
impregnating our barren faith with the power of God, standing against the devil, resisting him with our armor on, our faith shield up, the word of God, the sword of the spirit in our hand, the helmet of salvation protecting our head, the face plate down, speaking the oracles of God and acting on what we believe. And I tell you, the devil won't know it's you. The devil won't know it's me. Unless, unless, unless we start jawing about the struggle, unless we start jawing about the storm. Oh no, what am I going to do? Why is this always happening to me? Why does nothing ever work out for me? That's when he knows it's you. That's when he knows it's me. But we can put a gate over our mouth. We can put a gate over our mouth and live this life standing against the devil. Or we can live this life just taking things as they come. Whatever will be, will be. Just hoping to make it. Crying out every once in a while, Lord, help, I need another miracle. Grace has provided more than a miracle. Grace, that's God's power. That's not something passive. Grace is living. It's God's power toward us for transformation. Grace is actually a person. Grace is Jesus Christ, and God extended toward us Jesus Christ. We sing about it. His presence living in us. It's the air I breathe. Grace has provided something more than a miracle. Miracles, not his best. He's given us something that's better than miracles. God wants us to get a revelation of pregnant faith. He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He wants us to see that his promises are pregnant with the power of God. That's what he wants. He wants us to see that all of his promises are pregnant with his power. He wants us to take those promises, believe them, and meditate on them until they impregnate our barren faith and push us to act on them until those promises give birth in the physical and give evidence that our deeds have been wrought in God, John 3.21. And we can choose that. We can choose that. To practice the promises. We can choose to practice the promises of John. Can you put up the, that verse, John 3, 21? But he who practices the promises. He who practices the promises, right? That's the truth. Or, that's the truth. God's promises are truth, right? Jesus said, thy word is truth. In John 17, 17. He who practices the truth comes to the light or God's reality. We can choose to practice the promises, come to God's reality, and have our deeds, our actions, fashioned in God. Again, you can, you can live this life as you choose. As you choose. Because when it comes to the future, there are three kinds of people. Those who let it happen. Those who make it happen. And those who wonder what happened. We are the people of God. Covenant sons and daughters of God. Brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. The anointed one lives on the inside of us. We 
as a people of God, are ones who should make things happen, make the future happen. We should take God's word, his promises, and choose life. And choosing life impacts our destiny. God said, I set before you life and death. And he goes on to tell us to choose life. Because <laughs> he knows we're sometimes just stupid. <laughs> and he goes, hey, here's the answer. Choose life. You got this option. Choose life. Choosing life impacts our destiny. Choosing life or practicing the promises. When we practice the promises, you know what we're doing? We're choosing life. Sometimes people read that and they go, how do I choose life? Practice the promises. Practicing the promises impregnates our barren faith with the power of God. And that pregnant faith will give birth to a victorious future. We make it happen. How does this victory come about? By building a shelter that will withstand the storms of life. How is it built? By acting on God's word, by practicing the promises impregnating our barren faith with the power of God. Simply by acting on what God has spoken to us about who we are. Simply by acting on what God has spoken to us about what we have. Simply by acting on what God has told us about what we can do. We can build a shelter that we can run into in the midst of life's storm. Jesus said it is that simple. Not easy, but it's that simple. And there's nothing more comfortable in this world when a storm comes. I mean, you understand this. You've experienced this. How many of you have ever been caught in a nasty rainstorm? Wind blowing, rain pouring down. You're outside, and you make a run for it, right? You make, you've done this. Everybody's done it. I don't care if you're seven years old. At some point, you have made a run for what? The shelter to weather the storm. And what happens when you get inside? Relief. Comfort. Keep that picture in mind because there is nothing more comfortable in this world than when a storm comes and you run into the house built to protect you. I'm talking about physically and spiritually here. I built a tornado shelter at the lake a number of years ago and I have absolute confidence in its survival. It's nader proof as far as I'm concerned. Why do I consider it tornado proof? Because I know how it was built. I have 12-inch thick block walls. Cores are all filled with concrete. Every other core filled with rod, reinforcement rod. I have a 6-inch roof on top of it, 6-inch concrete roof with half-inch reinforcement rod crisscrossed every 6 inches. It's overkill, I know. (laughs) And the pour was continuous, meaning I poured that ceiling at the same time I filled the walls. So it's, it's a stronger bond, a continuous pour. Earth is burned six or seven feet high all the way around it except where the door goes in, and the door is three-inch thick solid oak. I believe it would survive a small bomb, but I am 100% confident that it is nader-proof. Why? I know what went into it. Todd, your dad delivered the concrete to me. We had a great conversation about it. You've been through a nader, right? We talked about that too. I know what went into it. I know how thick the walls are. It's not very big, but I could get eight, ten people maybe if we squeezed together, and I know we'd be safe. It's the same with our spiritual shelter. When the storm hits, 
when the wind and the rain is blowing, we need to know what's in the construction. And we can be 100% confident it's devil storm proof. We can be 100% confident that it'll remain intact no matter what he throws at us. And that we can provide shelter for others in the same storm. Get that picture. See, that's thriving, not just surviving. When you can say, hey, come on in. I've been through this. I've experienced it. I've stood against it. I'm still standing. It didn't wipe me out. Satan's storms did not take me out. I'm no longer captive to his threats. I'll help you through this. Your, your shelter's not built yet. Mine's built. I've taken the time. I've dug deep. I've built a house to shelter the storms. It's got a rock-solid foundation. You come in. When this flood passes in your life, I'll help you build a foundation to weather the storms of life. That's living. You can provide shelter to someone else because yours is intact. Because yours is intact. And it's built simply by practicing the promises. That's how it's built. Just practicing the promises. Practice them over and over and over and over and over again. Like you practice anything. Mistakes, move on. Fall off, get back on. Fall down, get back up. Quit, start again. Just keep practicing the promise until it becomes second nature. Until you react to life. Until you react to life's circumstances with that promise without even thinking about it. Like a professional boxer. Do you know that a professional boxer does not even think? His brain does not process his opponent's moves. You have an opponent. You have a devil that's trying to box you. And if you will practice the promise, a professional boxer has spent years training his body to react without thinking. Like riding a bicycle. You know what they call it like riding a bicycle? You don't think about it, do it. You jump on and ride. Why? Practice. From the time you were four or five years old, you practiced driving a car. Some of you have been driving a car for 50 years. You don't even think about it. Your mind doesn't have to process, what do I do next? That's what I'm talking about. Practice the promise until you react to life's circumstances without even thinking about it. That makes it sound easy, doesn't it? It's not easy at first, but it will get easy. It wasn't easy driving the car the first time. It wasn't easy riding the bike the first time. There were some bumps. and You had to get back on. You made some mistakes. We need to see the promises as pregnant with the power of God. God said, my word will not return to me void. My promises will not return to me void without. They will not return empty without succeeding, without accomplishing the matter for which I sent it. That's Isaiah 55, 11. When we practice them, when we practice the promises, we are returning them to him. And they won't return empty. We need to see the promises as pregnant with the power of God and understand that we give birth to that power when we act on those promises, when we practice God's promises. That is pregnant faith expressing authority or giving birth in the physical to the reality of God's spiritual promises. Giving birth to the reality 
of God's spiritual promises. I believe that's what the church has been missing. Giving birth to the reality of God's spiritual promises. Practicing the promises gives birth in the physical to the reality of God's spiritual promises. Captivity cannot be overcome with inactivity. So practice the promises. We're going to believe something, church. We're going to believe something. Why not believe God? I challenge you this morning. Why not believe God? Why not take his promises or a promise, believe those promises, and then act in accordance with what we say we believe? Why not? We've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. The integrity of God's word, the integrity of those promises has no value to us until we receive them, until we receive the integrity, until we take that integrity to heart, until we believe and act on it, God's integrity will not profit us. The word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith. They didn't go in to take the promise. They didn't act. They act the opposite. Let's go back to Egypt. At least we had leeks to eat. And they wanted to give up. They were, look what they were giving up. The, the, the milk and honey of the promised land to go back to Egypt as slaves and eat leeks. And we as Christians, because of, the, because of the effort involved in digging this foundation and building that shelter and practicing the promises. See, we've been taught, religion has taught us to give up after the first try. They haven't taught us that we need to spend the rest of it to make a commitment. You know the people that make it to the level of a professional boxer, a professional football player, a professional basketball player, any professional level of commitment, they're in it for life. I mean, at the time they make that choice, they are in it till they get to the top. They aren't just going to try it. <laughs> they just, they, 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 I am going to work at this until I make it. And they make movies about the ones that are the underdogs and make it. But, but the religion has taught us that, well, you know, if it didn't work, you know, try it. If it doesn't work, then it must not be God's will. Whatever will be, will be. God's sovereign. You never know what he's going to do. You take out, you know what? You can know what God's going to do. He made a promise to you. He said it's as good as done. Think about those two stories and what that does to this whole sovereignty of God. He's going to do what he's going to do. Jesus, you, you didn't see Jesus chasing anybody down. Hey, wait a minute. If, if, if those 10 lepers would have went back to the colony, he would not have chased them down. They would have remained in the condition that they were in, and the church has missed that. I'm talking about the religious church. If those four men and the guy on the stretcher, if they would have said, this is too hard, or it is, must not be God's will, or this isn't the day, he would have remained on the stretcher. And I tell you what, Jesus would not have stopped teaching, got up and chased them down. That picture is not really presented in nominal Christianity. Oh, it is here. This is a word-driven church. This is a faith-driven church. We understand that faith is a spiritual force that God gave us to alter the molecular structure of our world. I am wrapping this up. I'm closing with this. 
until we believe and act on God's integrity, it will not profit us. So believe and act. And remember, when Jesus gave us everything he had. See, we're not doing it without resources. We're not doing it without tools. He gave us the three most powerful spiritual forces that are known. Faith, hope, and love. Hope will build the blueprint. It will create the blueprint for faith to go to work. It's the 911 call to faith. You got to have hope. You get hope comes from the scriptures. Hope comes from the promises. You read a promise and hope rises up. I can live differently. I don't need to live like this. It creates a mold for faith to pour into. Faith is the substance, the materials of things hoped for. Faith, hope, it's all motivated by love. Hope creates the blueprint. Faith builds to the blueprint. But what is it that assembles the what is it that assembles the substance? What is it that puts together the materials of faith? It's action. Motion. And you have everything, everything you need to put it together. When Jesus gave us everything he had, that's when he said, it is finished. Holy Spirit, thank you for ministering to us from God's word. Thank you for ministering to us life and health through the word. Thank you, Father, that you sent Jesus, the living word, to heal us. Thank you that you've blessed us. Thank you that our storehouses are blessed. And I speak over everyone in attendance this morning that their storehouse is blessed. And Lord, I pray that they get a revelation of acting on that promise. And it might be different. The action, I can't sit there and say what the action is, Lord. It might be different for somebody. If they don't have a storehouse, their act of faith is to begin creating a storehouse. Another person who has created the, horse, the storehouse, their action of faith may be making a withdrawal from the deposits in that storehouse. But I pray that everyone knows that their storehouse is blessed. Lord, I pray that a revelation that we're blessed no matter what because we're in covenant relationship with you and we have certain rights and privileges as covenant sons and daughters of God. We have rights to spiritual things, spiritual resources, simply because we are covenant sons and daughters. I pray that these folks will know that they're blessed coming and going, blessed when they're in the country or the city, that they're, whatever they put their hands to do is blessed that they are above only and not beneath, that they are the lenders and not the borrowers, that their offspring is blessed. Lord, I pray for a revelation for people in this room who have seemingly troubled children or grandchildren, that they would recognize that regardless of what it looks like, that they would take their eyes off of the circumstances, off of the actions of those offspring and put it on your word. And go, my children are blessed. My sons are taught of the Lord. My daughters are taught of the Lord. And their well-being is great, even if it doesn't look great. But they focus their entire attention on your word, your promises. As we walk out of here today, we walk in your presence. You are the air we breathe. And your presence is precious to us. Thank you, Jesus. We say thank you. Thank you, thank you. Amen.